Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm the creator and host of this podcast. And as always, I want to thank you for joining me today and welcome you into this world. You know, I'm also a home educating parent, or usually I call myself an unschooling parent, that we say we unschool. And really, that means that I think a large amount of our learning comes from living life experiences. We don't follow a set curriculum unless it's something my kids choose because maybe it's supporting their interest or something that they want to learn more on and they found something that really is unique to them and they feel can best support them in that learning. But really, we follow each individual person and what they want to learn, how they want to learn, and even when they want to learn. And as much as anything, I say that I too am an unschooler. So much of this path has been my path as well to learn from everyday life experiences and learn from fantastic mentors that really include my children. So that's the reason why I created this podcast in the very beginning, because I'm that homeschooling parent. I had all those homeschooling questions, learning questions, but what about this? How will I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Oh, I I can't even say them because the list was so long. And then I began to find out that others had the same questions I had. And why not help everyone to find the answers together? And so that's the reason why we're here. So for those of you that have joined me on the journey recently or long ago, welcome and thank you for your support. And that support comes in forms of emails, engagement, on social media, direct messages, voice messages, texts, uh, joining joining our rooms on Clubhouse, leaving reviews, which is a huge bonus. Thank you so much. That truly helps the podcast. So if you get a chance, please leave a review if you found value in any of the shows or episodes, as well as being a part of our Patreon community. And if you don't know about that community, I have a Patreon community. It's patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. And I always have a link in the show notes. So if you're interested in in that and other ways that you can support the show, you can head there as well. And today our patron shout out goes to Jerry Belial. Jerry, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly. Thank you so much for being part of the community and supporting the show through Patreon. I truly, truly appreciate it. So, you know, one of the things about living this unschooling path or this natural learning path is that it's not really always part of the mainstream. And what happens is when you dive deeper and deeper onto your own road or into forging your own path or your own road, it's not just school that you begin to look at differently. It's many other things around you that you begin to look at differently. Things that maybe before you took for granted, or you just never stopped to question why. I know one of the episodes that struck a chord for many lately is my last episode on unschooling and Bitcoin. I was excited to have that episode because so often I find that for those that end up stepping off the mainstream path, whether it's in their home education experience, which then usually leads to your parenting experience. There's other parts of society and our life that we start to look at in a different light. And what I find is many times we start looking at things in a way of living intentionally. 
And I think one of the ways that we all start to look at life and how we live and choose to do things intentionally is in our financial life as well. So the guest that I have on today, Matt Matheson, is talking exactly about that. He's the owner of the Family Money School, which is a site dedicated to providing parents with resources and online money resources for their kids. I think one of the things is not only for us to live a bit more financially savvy, but for our kids to live that as well. So Matt is a local Albertan, lives in the same province as I do, and he's an educator. And so he has a lot of experience within the school system, seeing how little financial literacy that there is and the disconnect between many young people and money, the financial world, and their own personal finances. So in this episode, Matt and I are talking about how to give our kids the financial foundation they need to thrive with money as adults. So if you enjoy this conversation and episode and find that it also resonates with you and you want to learn more and do more, there's a few things that Matt has offered to my listeners. One is a PDF download on 25 simple tips and tools to help teach our kids about money and the five pillars of money. The other bonus that Matt is offering to my listeners is a free webinar for parents to help you dive further into this. And in the webinar, he actually teaches about the five pillars of money that he talks about in the episode. But this is going into more detail and specifics on how to teach these foundational money principles to your kids uh, so any parent can have clarity in raising children who thrive with money well into adulthood. So if either of these are of interest to you, which I know will be absolutely useful for any parent, you can find the links in my show notes and it will take you straight to either the PDF or the information for the webinar, information and sign up. And if you have any questions, just get a hold of me, direct message me, email me, and I'll do my best to answer what I can. So enjoy the episode and I hope to see you at the webinar, which will be May 27th. 6 p.m. Mountain Time, which is 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So today I have Matt Matheson joining me on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited that you're here. Well, in addition to being the husband of an amazing wife and dad to three awesome munchkins, Matt is a teacher and school administrator with 15 years of classroom experience. He's also a personal finance writer and blogger who's been featured in publications like the Huffington Post, Yahoo News, and Reader's Digest. His passion is teaching, specifically helping kids learn how to handle money wisely. And since he had his own kids, he's been working hard to pass on his own money values to them. And his love of teaching and desire to equip parents in raising money rock stars has led him to develop Family Money School, a site designed to help parents raise money-savvy kids. Well, thank you very much for joining me. So I actually, I wanted to ask, and we had started talking before, <laughs> and then I think we got a little bit carried away and saw our time, but you are a teacher and principal, and you still you still teach and you're still in administration, but you're also dedicating your time to entrepreneurship and supporting families and parents in being money-wise, in having financial literacy. Why, what's the reason behind this, a bit of a shift in the focus towards the Family Money School and supporting parents in financial literacy and families in financial literacy? 
Yeah, that's a great, uh, great, great question. So, I, I, to answer the question, I have to give you a little bit of a little bit of background how I became interested in personal finance. Because growing up, like um, you know, my family, they, we weren't bad with money, um, and we were intentional in some respects. And so, I picked a lot of that, uh, you know, behavior up in my own handling with money. I was never, never intentional, but not bad with money, mostly because I wasn't a natural spender. Um, I, you know, I just kind of cruise through life. I, I'm super laid back. Um, and so I just kind of got by, but when I got, uh, became engaged, uh, my wife, uh, chatted with me and she expressed a desire for me to become more intentional with money. You know, we were going to be, um, you know, starting a life together and we were going to be, uh, you know, having a family down the line and, you know, she wanted us to start our life together on the right foot. And so that really started me on a journey of learning more about money. And I honestly, I devoured everything I could get my hands on. Um, you know, I was reading uh, blogs. I was reading books, anything I could do. You know, I was on websites checking out, you know, top 10 books on personal finance you need to read. And I would go to the library and I would, I was just rifling through these things. And I th- found, you know, with my new knowledge that I was able to, challenge some of the harmful you know money myths that i had um believed growing uh, growing up and you know I've, i found that as i did that not only did i gain more confidence but i was in a much better place to be able to you know start our life off on the uh, on the right foot and so um you know as i uh, started talking oh and i should mention actually um I, I made a, a freebie for everybody who's listening to give them a shortcut to like not have to read the hundreds of books and spend the thousands of hours I had to spend in order to bust those <laughs> myths. And I think Robin, you're going to link to that on uh, on the uh, the episode uh, episode page on your site. And so, as you know, my passion to learn about money grew. I naturally started to think of ways I could could combine it with my other passion, which was teaching. And so I started talking just naturally more about money in my classes. I started teaching personal finance. I even started an entrepreneurship club um, in a couple of my schools that I was in. And, you know, as I did this, people started to affirm and encourage the work that I was doing. You know, they would tell me, oh, you know, you should teach a class on that. And I kind of started to think like, well, what would that actually look like? Um, And so initially I kind of thought, well, maybe I should run some, some classes, you know, at the library or something like that. And I tried to do that, but honestly I hit a bunch of dead ends. And so I kind of started getting into blogging a little bit. I was thinking, you know what, I can share what I'm learning with people, um, not just in my community, but like, you know, all over the world. Um, and that kind of, that kind of was the, was the kickstart to everything. And then just sort of naturally, as I started to learn more, my focus shifted from, yes, learning about money, but it naturally, because just even the place we were in um, as a couple, my wife and I, like we started having kids. And so I started thinking like, okay, how am I going to like pass on what I'm learning to my, to my kids? Um, And, you know, that's sort of where my passion for teaching kids about money came from and not just teaching, uh, teaching adults. And then the idea of, you know, going from just blogging to how do I actually teach kids? How could I actually teach kids all over the world? Well, then that sort of was where I came up with the idea for my online courses and the online curriculum to teach kids about money. Um, Because I really wanted to 
I really wanted to come alongside parents because I heard a lot about from parents, you know, they would often say like, oh, yeah, you know, I should teach my kid more about money. I just I can't find the time. And I, you know, parents oftentimes felt like, you know, they weren't good with money. So they didn't mm-hmm. feel confident to to pass those uh, to pass those values on uh, onto their kids. Um, and then just naturally kind of the homeschooling community came on my radar because, you know, I think about a group of parents who are incredibly intentional about how they teach their kids. You can't find a group that's more intentional than homeschooling parents, right? Like, um, and so it just, uh, it just kind of naturally morphed into that. And then the homeschooling, my wife and I have always toyed with the idea of like taking a year off and just like traveling around North America with our kids and we would homeschool our kids. And so just the thought of, freedom and being able to travel and everything was a part of sort of my journey. And yeah, it just uh, became clear to me pretty quick that the content that I was really passionate about creating and the community that I was, you know, learning more about and exploring was, was just a great fit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, there's a few things. Well, actually there's quite a few things that came down and I'm just going to ask you as I go along, um, referencing back to your personal journey. This is really your, your story, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you said that you're, you and your wife were married and her request to you, you see, you put it so kindly. She wanted you to get to be, <laughs> to be a bit more financially literate and especially for the future for your, for the two mm. of you and your family that you're building. You mm. said you were starting to read a, a lot of books and you were learning some of the money myths that you had growing up. What were mm-hmm. some of those myths that you had around money? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were, there were a number, um, you know, one of the, one of the myths, one of the first myths that kind of came up, um, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a Dave Ramsey guy. Like I, that was one of the first books that I, that I had, uh, that I had read. And so one of the first myths that came up was that debt is just sort of like, it's just a fact of life that you, you know, like people are in debt. You, you go to school, you go in debt, you come out, you buy a car, you go in debt, you get a house, you go in debt, you know, like that was just sort of, um, a a reality, even something as, as, you know, like, Oh, we need to do, we want to do, and we want to renovate our bathroom. How are we going to do that? Well, we can, we can do that with the line of credit kind of thing. Like that was just sort of, that was just sort of some of what I believed, honestly, saving up to pay cash for big items like that, was never was never something that like growing up that we did in part because um you know my dad is a pastor and so like we didn't have we weren't poor by any stretch of the imagination but we were like very firmly middle class so you know to save up to pay for cash we it just never really struck us as being something that we would do for like a for like a vehicle right and right, so yeah. um, that was a huge part of that was one of the huge myths was that debt is just a part of life. When we when my wife and I first got engaged, I had just finished my master's and I had gone into Student some debt. debt. Exactly. I'd gone into some debt for uh, for that. And again, because I'm not a natural spender, it wasn't like a huge amount of debt. Um, I had actually probably, I, I probably had actually just like broken even during that time. Um, and had it been able to like kind of maybe go into a little bit of debt, but not a ton. Um, I didn't get any formal student loans. I had like a, a line of credit that I was drawing off of in order to pay my, uh, to pay my, 
um, tuition and stuff like that. So I just basically, I basically broke even because I'm not a natural spender. I wasn't going out dropping a lot of money. I honestly, I never really saw the need for, for really being intentional, but that was, that was one of the huge ones. That was a massive one. Another one was that, um, you know, budgets are only for really hardcore money people. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of thought of myself as, you know, I'm not a spender. I knew myself. So it's like, why do I need to budget? If, if I want something, I will just, I'll get it because like, I know I'm not spending, I know I'm not overspending, so I'll, I'll just get it. The problem was I wasn't overspending, but I was definitely under saving. And that was, and that was a, and that was a big, a big problem. And I, that's another reason I'm so passionate about teaching kids is because I, now that I've learned a little bit about, you know, personal finance and I just see like, you know, if kids can start saving in their, even in their teens, like if they can even put away like 50 bucks a month or something like that and actually work to save and to invest, I just see the power of compounding. And I really, Mm -hmm. I have, I have some financial regrets and that would be one of them that I I kind of feel like I wasted my twenties essentially, and didn't use that time to really bear down and save as much as I, uh, as much as I could. Um, yeah, you're not the only one. I have the same. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I think now as well as, you know, as, and this also might come with getting older in adulthood, you, you, financial literacy is also something that's important for our family as well. And for my husband and I, and absolutely there's times I think, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I couldn't, why did, you know, I had that investment and we spent it all because we needed some, you know, you think, you think back to, like you said, I think the best thing is not being intentional mm-hmm. and not really understanding, um, you know, how mu- the money systems works and the value of money and saving and present day money and um, inflation, debt, and all of that that adds mm-hmm. into your life, your current present life and your future life as well. I, I think it's also difficult because, I mean, you and I both live in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And we have had here for those for the listeners that aren't familiar with where we live in Alberta, our economy for many, many years was in a huge like a lot of the world, but especially Alberta was in a huge boom. And we had a huge growth in our economy and in population and our industries. And with a lot of the boom came a lot of spending. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the extra, I think, especially in our society, is to have all of those things right away. And if you don't have the cash for it, like you said, like a line of credit or just charge for it, you know, buy it now and enjoy it and pay for it later. Uh, you know, the intentionality of our spending and saving and budgeting of our, you know, our, our finances was is not really encouraged, I think, a lot in our society as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And that kind of ties into one of the other myths is that, we, I think a lot of us as parents, we feel pressure to spend because, you know, a myth that's out there is our families won't be happy if we don't give them and then fill in the blank, whatever, yes, right. whatever that is. Right. And you feel that pressure from, you know, people around you, like they're going on a nice vacation or they've just bought like a beautiful trailer or, you know, fill in the yes, blank with yeah. whatever, with whatever it is, you know, you feel that pressure. And I mean, I, I know for myself, we, my wife and I, we oftentimes talk like you do, you feel that pressure and you try not to, but you do. And like, do your kids need some, some of those things? No, they don't need those things. Are those things nice? Yes. I mean, I'm, and I'm not against having nice things at all, but like, um, you know, healthy, happy, thriving families don't need like 
extravagant vacations or fancy cars or, you know, seasons tickets to their favorite sports team in order to be happy. I mean, one of the things for my wife and I that we've really tried to be intentional about is giving them a resource that is, I think, more more precious than money, which is time, right? Like time, yes. the most valuable of all commodities, right? Because we only we all only get 24 hours a day. So giving our kids, you know, consistent, undivided attention. And, um, you know, I was, at a, I was at a conference a few years ago um, in the States for, um, it was, my wife is a school counselor. And so it was the Association of, uh, of Christian Counselors in, in the United States. And we listened to a speaker who said, Kids need about 20 minutes each day of your sort of undivided attention. So that's really stuck with me. It's like, okay, so I don't have to feel like I need to give my kids hours. I mean, it's great when you can, but I mean, we're all like, life is insane and we're all busy and we've got tons of things we need to do. But if I can try to give my kids, you know, 15, 20 minutes of undivided attention and it can be something small maybe you know like yesterday I was outside with my son and you know we were shoveling the driveway and then we went in the backyard and we I pushed him on the swing for a few minutes like it wasn't any wasn't anything huge and I by no means do I do I do it every day I wish I could say that I did but I don't meet that goal every day but that is even giving me peace as a parent just like okay if that's the baseline, then I th- then that's what I can shoot for, and that's actually that's actually doable. And I don't have to feel guilty if we're not going on like thousand dollar vacations, or you know, we're not driving some like you know fancy SUV or you know or or, or whatever, right? Like it's given me it's given me peace that uh, we can give our kids what they what they truly uh, what they truly need and truly desire. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because my kids had said when we were talking about, you know, Christmas, obviously it's just passed. And, you know, I think that's a time when there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. as well for parents, right? Mm-hmm. And my kids had said something one time about, you know, it's funny when we think back to a couple of years, you know, you think back to some of the Christmases and they said, we actually can't remember what some of the things that we got for Christmas. Totally. And, you know, and you worry about getting them the things, but then mm-hmm. you, you know, like that, because I said, you know, we can't even, what did we get that year? We, totally. we don't remember. But what they do remember are the experiences and the time, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. so. And they, you know, when they say, remember when we, you know, did this together or we, this mm-hmm. happened. And those are the times absolutely that stick. And many times they hardly cost you a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> money wise. It's just the time. Right. So, yeah, that's interesting that you, I thought actually it would be more, but 20 minutes a day. Yeah, I was. No, it's not. It's not. And that was, um, what was the gentleman's name? Josh Straub was his, uh, was his Josh name. and. Josh Straub and he has like a is a family ministry where he supports parents and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I like I said I loved it because it was it seemed really achievable, right? Like I think sometimes as parents like things seem daunting, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's like I need to teach my kid everything they need to know about money in order to like, you know, thrive as an adult or like I need to somehow provide materially everything they need or I need to protect them from, you know, all of the things that are out there that could harm them. This was one thing where it was like, okay, this seems very doable. 20 minutes. Right. I think I, right. I, can, I can do that kind of thing. Right. Doable and impactful. Absolutely. So, so I want to ask you then is, you know, talking about parents and we're talking about financial literacy. So what happens, what if a parent does, is not like you said, some parents say, I, I haven't taught my kids about money or I don't know what to say because I'm not there myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't really, I would like them to have a better idea, but 
how can I show them or what can I do if I don't really know? What would you suggest? Yeah. Well, okay. So I think there's a fallacy out there that in order to, um, you know, teach something, you need to be an absolute expert in it. Does it help to be an expert? Yes, it does. But I'll tell you, you know, sometimes it actually helps to have, sometimes it actually helps to have struggled with something when it comes to teaching it. Just a little example. I had two math teachers uh, growing up when I was in junior high. One was like a math genius and the other one didn't give off that sort of like air of being like a math genius. And you know who was a better teacher? It was the one who was not the math genius because she understood what it was like to struggle. And so she anticipated some of our needs. And there was even just more grace there in the like learning. Um, there was more sort of like sideways looks like, what do you mean you don't understand this? So I would just caution parents, you know, like you don't have to be a money expert in order to um, in order to teach your kids about uh, about money. There are really basic, simple things that you can do in order to set your kids up for, you know, for success. So one of the things that I try and do when I when I work with parents and when I chat with parents is to just sort of boil down all of the big ideas uh, or pardon me, all of like the specific details about money into just a handful of big ideas. You know, like we know as adults, there are literally maybe thousands of financial concepts that, you know, we can feel like we need to know in order to, you know, have control of our own finances. You know, we're talking about things like banking, credit cards, interest, salary, wages. You talked about inflation, taxes, investing, RRSP, TFS, you know, like it goes on and on and on and on and we can get overwhelmed with that. But, you know, as a parent, if we focus on just the big ideas with our kids, um, they they will honestly, they will know more than probably 90% of their peers if they can master just these big ideas. And the great thing with these big ideas too is, um, I mean, you can teach them to kids as young as three or four. And by the same token, you can teach the same big ideas and obviously go into more depth, but to kids that are like in their teens. So when I talk about like big ideas, like I've got five that I sort of, in my reading um, and my research, these five themes kind of emerged. And one of the things that I found in, in my research and reading is there's not a lot of new ideas when it comes to how to wisely handle your money. Um, you go back to like, you know, ancient texts like the Bible, the ideas that are found in the Bible are the same ones that you'll find in like the newest, you know, personal finance book that you pick up at like, you know, um, your, your local bookstore kind of thing. And so right. the, the, the big ideas are um, first how to work. So kids need to learn how to work. They need to build that work ethic um, and they need to kind of understand that, you know, that work and um, earning a living and getting money is, is how you actually, or working, pardon me, is how you actually get money. Second thing they need to understand is how to spend wisely. Um, they need to understand, you know, the difference between what is a want, you know, as we were talking about with, you know, vacations, that's a want. And what is a need, you know, putting food on your table, that's a need, uh, you know, having pizza every Friday night, that's a want. And wants aren't bad. Like they're actually great. I mean, it's, it oftentimes um, is a really wonderful thing, but distinguishing between needs and wants it, 
will lead to that wise spending. The third uh, pillar is how to save. And as I said, that was kind of the one that I was missing when I like what before I uh, before I got married was I hadn't I wasn't saving money and stuff like that. And so that's a huge uh, that's a huge uh, a huge pillar to like delaying gratification for kids. And that's what I mean when I say you can work on these things with like young kids, like a three year old. Are you going to teach a three year old how to save money? Might talk about it a little bit, but a three year old is not going to be able to understand why you need to save money or kind of, you know, what the purpose of that is. But one of the things we did with our kids was we were intentional about working on building their ability to delay gratification at three years, at three years old. And there's actually a lot of research. Um, there was a study out of, uh, Cambridge university in the UK, uh, a few years back that said that the behaviors that later lead to good personal finance behaviors are already set they're already in place by the age of seven so if you're going to be if you're going to be good with money the behaviors that will make you good with money are already in place by the age of seven and so you know when i read that it was like wow that is because people oftentimes ask you know how old should we be before we start talking about money and oftentimes i mean in the in public education, it's usually not until they get into junior high or even high school. Um, right, comm class, yeah, and that, and life I, management, absolutely. Right? And I'm teach I teach comm class right now, um, and like that's where you actually do it in elementary. You know, you talk about money a little bit, like this is a coin. These are what the coins are and stuff like that. You maybe do a little bit of here's some groceries, add up how much this costs. But there's really no conversation about how to actually wisely handle money. It's really basic, mm-hmm. basic stuff. And I think, again, like we're really missing an opportunity to help our kids, which is why like, I'm, it's one of the only courses I've seen. Like one of the courses that I offer is actually specifically for kids under 12. And it's actually for parents to actually start having those money conversations and start laying the, the, fa- the foundation. Because like I said, when I read that research, I was like, wow, this is uh, – this to- is a total uh, a total game changer. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, the fourth pillar. Can I go to the fourth pillar? Yeah, absolutely. And then I'll probably ask you some questions after that. But yes, what's the fourth pillar? <laughs> Sorry, I'm on a roll. Fourth pillar. No, it's good. <laughs> fourth pillar is how to give, which is which is huge. Uh, giving and being generous is massive. And then the fifth pillar is that money actually isn't everything. It's important, Mm -hmm. but it's not everything. Um, And that's often one of the most overlooked pillars of money, especially again, in my world, my world where I like, you know, was reading and researching. It's like everything was about money. It was money, 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 money was driving everything. And, you know, I, just don't believe that like it's important it definitely is important and it'll ruin your life if you if you don't um if you don't master it but it is absolutely not the most important thing uh in life not even close um and so that's one that uh that i really uh that i really think parents need to emphasize with their with their kiddos okay so how to work how to spend wisely mm-hmm. how to save how to give and money isn't everything. Those are the five main pillars, the five big p- pillars. Yes, those so, are them. E- so even if we're, we are not money-savvy parents, 
if we we can take down take all those ideas that are out there in the world and and break them down into simple details, these would be five great pillars to mm-hmm. to practice, model, and talk about with our kids. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So then something like how to work, I could see, do you, you know, is that, are you someone who believes in paying for chores? I know sometimes that's a bit of a a debate among parents. Allowance, you give your kids an allowance every week or month to help them to understand money and maybe do, do they have to earn it by doing chores? Do they just have money and learn how to, you know, what they should do with it, save, invest, spend? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, so the allowance one is it's such an interesting question because it's it's a real hot button, and I have to be honest, it's one that like I I'm super curious about, and I really I even now I'm still trying to read, and I read different things like you said because there's so many different opinions. What what we do is our kids are on um, are on kind of like a commission structure, and so we have a uh, we have chore charts. Uh, my I have three kids. Um, my oldest is eight. And then I have a five-year-old, and then I have just a, a little guy. He's uh, he's almost nine months. Um, he's not on commission yet. We we <laughs> we, we give him a we give him a free ride uh, a free ride at this point. Um, just but extra milk, maybe exactly. Exactly. That's what, he, that's what I say. Free ride, mummy probably would beg to differ with. Uh, with <laughs> True. With, <yeah>. Yes, with <laughs> uh, with that. But um, so what we do is we have a chore chart and. Um, each of the kids have uh, have chores. Some of them are similar. Some of them are different based on um, based on age and uh, what is appropriate. Uh, what's appropriate for them, and so then we have kind of like a base rate that we pay for for their jobs if they complete all of the jobs. So if they complete all the jobs, they get like they get a certain amount of money. And if there's things that they don't complete, then they get like they get a certain amount that they don't get from that. Uh, from that kind of base, uh, that base rate. So like my eight year old, we give her, she gets $2 a week is what she gets if she completes all of her, all of her jobs. And so if she doesn't complete a job, then she, then she doesn't get paid for that particular, for that particular job. I like, I kind of, um, I'm a little bit on the fence as far as I know some people really, um, there's kind of like two camps. There's the camp that says, no, we should, you shouldn't pay kids just for things they do around the house because they're part of the family and that's an expectation. And we don't want them to always be expecting money anytime they do things. And I totally, uh, that resonates with me. The, like that sort of element, the flip side of that is I want my kids to understand that work and money, there's a relationship between those two things. And that in Mm. order to work, they have to, uh, pardon me, in order to get money, they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to, to work. Um, the other thing that I think we will start doing as we get older, and this is one of the things we've done with our eight-year-old daughter, is as they start doing things just naturally, those things come off the chore chart and they don't get paid for those things anymore. Like, you know, um, for example, one, like one of the chores for, um, for my son is, um, you know, they, or my, and my daughter is, uh, they have to, they have to, um, unload the dishwasher. They have to unload the dishwasher in our, in our house. Well, like as a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, I can put that on the chore chart when they are like 10, 12, like that's going to just be an expectation, right? Like you're in the mm-hmm. house, you're part of our family. This is what, 
this is kind of what we do. And what we'll do then is we'll add other chores to their, um, to their, to their list. Um, and sort of we, I kind of see it as a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a moving target in that the chores won't always stay the same and we always won't pay for the same chores, but Mm -hmm. I want our kids to understand that, that connection between working and, uh, and earning. And so exactly. And so that's why, and so that's why we do it. And I also, I've heard some people talk about, um, you know, you should just give your kids the money and then let them, let them sort of save or invest it, save or invest and do whatever it is they do. And I personally don't like that because I don't want them to feel, I don't want them to gain that sense of entitlement that comes with just receiving something for for nothing which is why Mm -hmm. we've kind of chosen to do things the way that we've uh, chosen to do things the way that we've done them and so yeah what they do as far as like what they do with the money is we have um, we have some jars we pay them in quarters because I also wanted to sort of start building up their familiarity with money and even just some math stuff so we count out how much how much money they're getting and stuff like that. And we always start off, they put, uh, so for my daughter, for example, who gets her, she gets her eight quarters. She puts one quarter in the gift jar. Um, you know, as, uh, as people of faith, we believe very strongly in, uh, in giving. And so, uh, they, they tithe, they give a 10th ish. It ends up being a little bit more than that. I don't get too hung up on the actual percentage at this age all i want to do is i want to build their generosity muscles at this at this point and make that kind of automatic that they know that you know whatever whatever they receive comes from god and so we give back a portion to him um out of obedience and and it's not just out of obedience like i can say for myself personally now giving in some ways is almost selfish because that has actually allowed us to not be um controlled by by money and maybe if we have time i'll get into that that has to weirdly has to do with bacon um right yeah let's definitely get into the bacon after for sure yeah yeah yeah. so yeah they give a little bit and then they put a portion into the save um and then there's a portion left for them to for them to spend and the save at this age is it's just for things a little bit longer down the road. Like, you know, my daughter for a long time, she's really into horses. So she was saving for some horse toys. And so it's like, Hey, you're going to have to wait like three, four, five months. You're going to have to save. So it's not like they're, they're not saving for like, you know, they're not saving for their retirement at like eight or anything like that. I'm just looking to build their, to build the, the natural habits that yes, this is what we do with our money. We give, we save and then of course we spend and the spending stuff is if you know they have um they have some money and they want to go you know if we're at like uh, 7-eleven or something like that and there's something they want to pick up or word out the dollar store and there's something they see that they want then it comes out of uh, then it comes out of that money okay so then if you for example delayed gratification on how to save and number three is that one way for example your daughter wanted to get some horse stuff uh, you is that part of delayed gratification or yes. is it something immediate like they go to 7-Eleven or they're at the store and they want something immediate do you talk about them talk to them about maybe waiting to see if they really yeah. want to spend their money on that yeah. and then they can decide like a week later or a couple of days later or how does that work for a younger child yeah so it's both really um the the waiting to save that definitely is part of the delayed gratification like having them just have the patience to 
um, you know, stay focused on something and also gives them a chance to sort of like take their own internal temperature. It's like, is this something I really want? You know, if you wait for something for two or three months and your feelings change about it, well, then it's not something that you really, you really want and stuff like that. As far as kind of what you're describing is sort of a little bit more like those impulse purchases when you're out and about, and you're just like, oh, I see that. And I really want that. We incur, we do, we encourage our kids to take like, 24 hours to think things through. I actually, we just this week, actually my son, um, who is definitely the natural spender. Like you can just see that he gets money and he wants to spend it. And my daughter is like, we play, play monopoly. Um, my daughter who's eight, we, we play monopoly and she just loves it. Like she doesn't want to have anything less than like 500 or a thousand dollars in like, a, in like a reserve fund because what if she lands on something and has to pay rent? What if, you know, she, she's naturally the saver. My son, you know, money burns a hole in his pocket very, very quickly. So he wanted to download, um, he was playing on, uh, on our iPad and he was playing some game and, you know, the pop-ups that come up on the game, you know, buy these extra characters, unlock this level mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, he got sucked right in. He's like, yes, no, I want this. I definitely, I definitely want this. And so, my wife and I, we chatted with them and it was like, okay, so you want this. Um, let's wait a day. And if you still want it tomorrow, then I will, we will, we will download it from out of your own money. Like you it's your own money. And he had some money that he could spend on it. Um, and so it actually ended up being a couple days after just how circumstances worked with busyness and stuff like that. Um, and so after a couple of days, you know, we sat down and it was like, okay, do you still want this? Is this something that you still, you still would like? And he said, yes, it is. So, okay. So we, okay. we took the money and we, we downloaded it for him and, um, and he bought it. Now it was really interesting because I would say about maybe half an hour later, maybe a little, maybe a little bit longer than that. He came to me and he said, dad, what I downloaded, it wasn't what I wanted. I, I wanted something, uh. I wanted something different. And it's hard as a parent because you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, buddy. Like, that's what you feel like. Oh, I'm so sorry, buddy. That must be so disappointing. But I am also a huge believer in, um, you know, learning from our mistakes and like growth mindset. And, you know, everything happens for a reason and we can take lessons from everything. And I also, um, we try really hard not to rescue our kids from, mm-hmm. from, poor choices that they've made and so it was like yeah okay like that would be i that would be really disappointing well you know what next time you come across something like this and you think hey i really want that you know maybe we should do a little bit more looking into it to be sure that it's actually maybe you need to think about it a little bit longer to really be sure that it's actually what you what you wanted and uh and and whatnot and so right. yeah the process the, of absolutely. What, what information do you need to you know how can we how can we look through and and help find out if this is what you really meets all the needs and what you're looking for in the totally. wants yeah, we've kind of done that a little bit before because i mean he's five like he's not going to go on you know consumer reports and start like you know <laughs> like he's not going to go five stars four exactly. stars he's not going to be doing that so like we were coaching him a little bit in that ahead of time we were kind of looking into it a little bit and i mean it from from my cursory look it looked like kind of what he wanted and he was convinced and he had thought about it but I think like when we talk about how to teach those five pillars because I think sometimes parents feel like okay it's great now I know what those five pillars are how do I teach them 
if you know those five pillars, there are so many teachable moments that like show up absolutely every single day. If you can, if you can train yourself to look for those teachable moments, they are mm. absolutely, they are absolutely everywhere. Um, and it's do, just, a matter do you of- have exam- examples on the website as well too, of, of different yeah. ways you can do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I have. Um, there's lo- there's lots of examples. Uh, lots of examples uh, on the blog about different ways that you can uh, that you can um, either use teachable moments or even create your create your own teachable moments um, in order to you know in order to help facilitate some of these conversations with your uh, with your kids. And another simple one I, I'll just mention is you know oftentimes when our kids are out, they'll ask you know. We're at the grocery store. Can I have this, Daddy? Can I have this pack of gum? Can we buy this little toy? Can we do this? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, my gut reaction and most parents' gut reaction is just to say no, right? It's just a simple, simple no. And you know, and if the kid pushes, it's like we don't have money for that. We don't. We're not here to buy that. We don't have money for that. We're not. And I kind of thought a little bit more about that. And I was like, wait a second, we actually do have money. I could buy, easily buy that dollar pack of gum. That would not like cripple us financially whatsoever. Like we do have money for it. So I actually started answering the question a little bit differently. Um, they would say, can I get that? Can we have that? And I would say, uh, yes, but we're not going to buy that because, and then that would open up the conversation to, we're choosing to spend our money on these things, not on these things. And if we choose to spend our money on gum and little treats and other little things, that will mean that maybe on Friday night, we won't be able to have the pizza and popcorn family movie night that we're going to do. Because if we spend all our money on this, then we won't be able to, you know, we only have a certain amount of money that we get that we get through, you know, through our work and stuff like that. And so we have to make choices. And so that was for, for us was even just a nice little segue into teaching our kids that, you know, you can't just say yes, 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 yes to everything. We talked about the debt that people are in, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't just say yes, yes, yes to everything at a certain point, unless you are just going to infinitely go into debt, you have to start saying no to some things. Right. And so I'm trying to train our kids even young to think like it's a, I mean, it's an idea of like in the personal finance world and the economics, they call it opportunity cost, which is basically if you say yes to one thing, you are saying no to something, something else. That's right. Right. And so we're trying to train our kids in that. And again, you know, I've got a five and an eight year old. Am I using the term opportunity cost with them? No, I'm not. But it's like, it's, if we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to something else and because I want them to understand kind of that whole concept. Okay. Okay. Uh, I like how, yeah. And I forget that that is actually, there is actually the terminology of opportunity costs. And it's also, again, about looking to the future and not just exact, always satisfying the want in the present as well. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. the late gratification for younger kids as well comes into that. So tell me more about bacon. <laughs> and okay, so, how you, yeah, why bacon is so important, whether okay. you're a bacon eater or not. Totally. So now this is like if you're a vegetarian, bacon is still bacon is still uh, is still important. So like, <laughs> there's there's stats out there right now, and I mean with everything going on with like uh, the pandemic and the financial duress that people are under, like stress about finances is is through the roof. Right? There's surveys out there that show that you know close to fifty percent of adults have actually lost sleep 
over worries uh, about money. And so, you know, my goal is I really don't want, I, I don't want that to get passed on to our kids because I want them to really um, master their money. And in my reading and research, again, I came across the a silver bullet to avoid the stress and worry about money that I literally never would have expected. And it's summed up in that one surprising word, bacon. And, um, you know, it's not maybe what you think, but if you've never heard of um, money expert Francis Bacon, I mean, you can get in line. I, I didn't know he was a money expert either. The only reason I'd ever heard of him, my background is I actually have a science degree um, along with my education degree. And he's the inventor of the scientific method. And so that's how I had sort of heard wow. heard of him. Okay. But he's a 16th century English scientist, but he was also a writer and a philosopher. And evidently, who knew, a personal finance, finance expert. And I had it, no idea. <laughs> I didn't either. I didn't either. But it was him who said, it was Francis Bacon who said, that money is a good servant, but a poor master. So essentially, like, if you don't master it, it will master you. And, you know, Bacon understood what, um, you know, Jesus had explained centuries before that when it comes to money, you know, there really is no middle ground. Either you own it or it owns you, right? You're either it's, you're either it's master or you're it's slave. So then that kind of got me thinking, I mean, I love the quote and then it kind of got me thinking, so how do we help our kids become, you know, the masters of their money? And I kind of alluded to it earlier. One of the best ways, honestly, is to be generous, um, and it's really counterintuitive, but giving away money actually helps us to be more in control of our money. And the reason for that is people who are generous aren't controlled by their money. You know, they mm. are so in control of their finances that they're actually able to give it away. Um, you know, you think about some of the more stingy members of society, the hoarders of wealth. Some of them are, you know, millionaires, billionaires, you know, have lots of money. But you think about the people that um, are controlled by their money, uh, and you know they would think this is crazy to give away the amount of money uh, to, to give away a portion of their money because they're looking to, you know, they're looking to to gain more and more and more of it. They would think, you know, why would I give away something that I just worked so hard to to gain, something that I sacrificed for, you know, what I was so worried and concerned about? It just doesn't make any sense. But again, when you look at the research, fifty five percent of millionaires who actually give to, you know, uh, their local churches or charities on a regular basis, you know, that makes, it makes perfect sense because these, these people, these millionaires have understood what I've come to call in my own life, the bacon principle. And this is another quote from bacon. Again, this guy was a genius on many different fronts, but he said that money is like manure, that it's actually best if you spread it around. And so (laughs) again, I loved that quote when I heard it, I'm like this, I'm like, Bacon, he is an absolute genius. And so in our family, we've we've worked hard to try to – I mean, I want our kids to be generous. And I just – like selfishly, I want them to be generous because I know what it will do for them as being – as far as being able to not feel enslaved by their money. Like if they can consistently give and be generous – then I know that they will not be controlled by their money. And so if, if parents – if you can – teach your kid to kind of master that bacon principle, um, then I, I'm a firm believer that they will really master their money. They'll be in control of it and not the, uh, and not the other way around. So Mm. that kind of in a nutshell is the, uh, is the bacon principle. Right. Yeah. Your alarm's going off. (laughs) Yeah. I just turned turned it off. 
Our time. And that falls in with really well with pillar four and five, how to give and money isn't everything in that way. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's best when it's spread out like manure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I also, I also want to be mindful of our time as well. And I will include, Matt has been generous to offer our listeners a freebie as well, which I will include. What And what can we find in that as well? I'll include that in the show notes, the link to that. Yeah. So the freebie, it, it lists... Um, 10 of the money myths that, um, that parents need to bust to, to raise kids who, who thrive with money. And some of the ones are the ones that I, that I had mentioned. Um, and there's a few other ones on there that, uh, few on there that I struggled with a few that are sort of a little more, um, general that maybe other people struggle with. And so what I've got is I've got the myth and then I've got, um, some strategies for how they can actually, uh, break the myth. And uh, and really set their kids up to uh, to to be the masters of their finances as they uh, as they reach adulthood. Fantastic. So I'll include that in the show notes along with the links to to your website and um, your social media as well. If anyone wants to get a hold of you through there and learn more about the five pillars, about the family money school, and other courses and offerings that you have too for families and kids. Yeah, that would be that would be awesome. I really appreciate that. Yeah, people can check out familymoneyschool.com and uh, they can always reach out to me. Uh, contact information is on there and uh, yeah, I'd be happy to uh, happy to chat. Fantastic. Okay, I will do that. Thank you so much. So I want to leave you leave with one question. If the world was financially literate, if, you know, our next generations that take over from all of us and they all become money savvy, financially literate, what would the world look like? Do you think it would be very different from today or what changes would happen? Wow. Wow. Well, I think there'd be a lot, I think there'd be a lot more people who'd be sleeping um, from the the reduced stress. That's a lot less bags under the eyes. That's for sure. Um, you know, I think kind of like I've talked about, I think people would have more financial resources, but again, paradoxically, I don't, they wouldn't be controlled by those resources. I think financially people would have more, but they wouldn't be controlled by their money. Um, you know, generosity would be running wild because people would know that, um, you know, being generous is absolutely critical to, um, you know, not just our own personal responsibility to like humanity, but also, um, like I said, selfishly, that is a key to, uh, to winning with, with money and there'd be fewer people in need. And I honestly, I think that parents would be a whole lot less stressed out knowing that they'd given their kids everything they need to, to thrive with, with money as adults. I think as parents, you know, whether it's, you know, money or whether it's giving our kids their education or whether it's our kids' friend. I mean, we spend a lot of our days stressed out about how our kids are doing. And mm-hmm. like we, you know, that's a natural, a natural thing. And I think um, if, if we knew that our kids were financially literate, if they were money savvy, I think that would at least be one thing we could check off the list that we wouldn't have to uh, worry about and, uh, and, st- and stress over anymore. Yeah, absolutely. They can go into this world with even more independence mm-hmm. and self-autonomy. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate the time and I'm looking forward to connecting again. Yeah. Thank you so much, Robin. I appreciate it as well. Thank you.